Romans. We've learned in our slow walk through verse by verse through this book, and it'll take some time. We'll be in it for over a year. Uh, We've learned so far that Paul, like a lawyer in front of a jury, he's making a case that all have sinned. All fall short of God's glory. And then that glorious verse, Romans 3, 21, remember? But now, everybody say that with me. But now. Remember Martin Luther in German? Danach. But now. But, that word but is the verbal eraser that erases everything that goes before it. Whoever it was here that shared that with me, what a wonderful thing. Somebody came up to me afterward and said, Pastor, I've heard that the word but is a verbal eraser. It isn't that true. God erases sin. Even though it's all true that we are sinners, God erases that and says, but now. And the thing that happened was Jesus came. He can erase those sins if you invite him into your life and make him your Savior and Lord. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. By the way, I just have to say as I start this morning, thank you for letting me preach at Barakel. Preached eight times last week. Kids were getting saved. It was a glorious, glorious week. If you want to hear some great stories, I'll share them with you at some point. Uh, but to sit down one, one-on-one with a teen and to talk for over half hour and, and the conclusion of that is we're praying and asking Jesus to save that person. It was wonderful. It was just fantastic. And then Heidi came, our own Heidi Allen. She drove all the way up on Friday. A 16-year-old girl stood in front of teenagers and shared the story of what happened during the Oxford tragedy and how God was with her. And that was one of my whole messages this week. She didn't even know that, but she gets up and says, and God was with me. I preached the book of Daniel, and I told the students, God doesn't always save us from the fire. He saves us in the fire, (laughs) And so it was a wonderful, wonderful, blessed week. I thank you for sharing your pastor and letting me do that. But I'm tired. But it's okay. We'll keep going. This morning, our big idea is walk by faith, not by sight. Everybody say faith. Sight believes the seen and natural. Faith believes the unseen and supernatural. And we're called to walk by faith not by sight. We're believers. The very word means we believe something to be true. Quite often, students will ask me or adults will ask me, well, show me some proof. And I have some. I could tell you the teleological proofs that God exists. I could tell you the moralistic proofs that God exists. I could go through all litany of things, but honestly, it's faith. It comes down to faith. Have you put your faith in him? So this morning, Paul breaks into a whole litany talking about how faith saves us not by sight. Faith is not irresponsibility. It's not positive thinking. It's not optimism. It's not hope in a possible outcome. It's it's not having proof. It's not a fleeting feeling, but a concrete conviction. It's moving forward on what God says, not what you see. And Hebrews 11.1 1 says it's assurance of things hoped for, the evidence or the conviction of things not seen. Oh, I hope you have faith this morning that you believe in what you cannot touch. You believe in who God is and that he sent his son Jesus and that Jesus is who God says he is. His son, the perfect sacrifice for our sins. 
do you believe this morning? I want to take time, and if you got your notes, we'll do what we normally do through Romans. I'm going to read the, the text, and then we're going to go through verse by verse real quick and make some statements, and then I'll give you something uh, to write down and take home that you can apply. But let me read the text. Follow along. Meet me in Romans 14, uh, 4, verse 13. You were hoping we were at Romans 14. we got a long way to go, friends. Romans 4, 13 through 25. I'll read. You follow along. It was not... Through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith. Everybody say faith. So that it may may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Verse 18, against all hope, Abraham and hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. That is why it is credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of Scripture. That last line is so important. Raised to life for our justification. This is, again, the first time in in Paul's writing here that we get to the point where he talks about the resurrection being essential. Right? We, we, we learn that believing becomes essential. That word came in, and then all of a sudden we know that Jesus died for our sins, but his resurrection is what brings justification. Hey, if we have a martyred Savior, and that's all we have, then we are without hope. Many people have been martyred throughout the years. All of the so-called gods of other religions have died. But only one claims to have risen from the grave. And it is the power of resurrection that seals salvation. God sending Jesus to die for us, his blood was important to, to, to cover those sins, to forgive us of sins, remove them completely. But the resurrection was the power that put it into place. It was this resurrection power. So I love that that is added. But let's go backwards. Let's go to the first verse. Verse 13, what is he saying here? He's saying that faith imputes Jesus' righteousness. Remember imputed? It's as if it was yours. And we know righteousness is not ours. I hope you're still not trying to figure out that you're good enough to get to heaven. We, we just don't have any righteousness on our own that can get us to heaven. Please don't think that there's some scale that God's going to use and he puts all your good stuff here and your sin here and he kind of weighs it and hopefully you eke it out, right? Ninth inning win, right? No. 
That's not what's going to happen. He doesn't put your righteousness on a scale with your sin. You so, we have no righteousness. I mean, there's nothing there. We got nothing to give. It's our sin, period. That's all we've got. We have to hope, believe hope, that Jesus' righteousness is imputed to us. It's, it's, as, if it's, it's as if it was ours. And that's what happens if you put your faith in Christ, ask him to forgive your sin, come into your life as your Savior and Lord, then God immediately imputes Jesus' righteousness onto your account. Did you hear all the times the word credited, 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 credited? I like that. I like when it's credited to your account. You know, that's a good thing. Jesus, his righteousness is credited on my account. When I stand before a holy God someday and he wants to know who's paying for the sin, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let him know I asked Jesus to forgive me. And immediately God's eyes will stop looking at Don Jackson because that's not good news. If he's just looking at me and seeing all of my sinfulness, that's bad news for me. Instead, I'm going to declare Jesus and he's going to look at his son and see perfection and say, he's going to look right at Jesus and say, Don Jackson, that's a good thing. When anybody's looking at Jesus and calling him Don Jackson, I mean, that only happens through faith. Don Jackson, you are righteous. I know I'm not, and I know I don't deserve that, but that's what God does. He imputes Jesus' righteousness to my account. I've just skipped all ahead, but that's okay. Got excited. Verse 14 and 15. Basically, he's saying there, you can't get to heaven on grandpa's faith. Nobody's getting to heaven on their parents' faith or family's faith. He's talking about Abraham, and he's talking about his direct descendants, and he's saying they're not, they're not saved because they're Abraham's children. Again, don't forget, Paul spent a long time explaining that the Jewish people, the people of Israel, no special thing. They don't earn anything special because of who they are from birth. All have to come by faith. So the Jews who do believe, yes, by faith they are saved. But the non-Jews, they believe by faith. And what he's telling us is, it's by faith that we're all children of Abraham. We're children of faith from Abraham because of Abraham's faith. It's not national. It's not familial. It's not your family. When you get to heaven someday and God asks who's paying for the sin, don't start telling about grandpa. Oh, Grandpa was a Sunday school superintendent for 50 years. So what? Don't get up there and say, oh, my mom and dad, oh, man, my mom and dad were so faithful. They were, they were even Baptist faithful. I mean, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday evening, Thursday, we got Friday, we got we church all the time. Mom and dad were at church all the time. So what? God's not going to talk to you about your heritage. He wants to know about you. He's either going to say, depart from me, I never knew you, or he's going to say, enter into my eternal rest. That's the judgment. And so we keep moving on. In verse 16, uh, what, what, what Paul is telling us is that Abraham is the father of all believers because of faith, not lineage. 17 says God's power to provide strengthens faith. This is great. We got to talk about this today. Oh, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. And then he goes into verse 18, against all hope. Everybody say that with me. Against all hope. And he tells a story. He tells the story of Abraham. 
He tells that story that, that at 65 years of age, Abraham was. And he goes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, out of you, I'm going to bring forth a whole great nation. You're going to have children and those children will bear children. And he was 65 at that point. Against all hope. <laughs> What's amazing is Isaac wasn't born until Abraham was in his 90s. Everybody say, oh my. You think Abraham had doubt at 65. He really had to start wondering at about 80. <laughs> is this going to happen? Now, matter of fact, I got to tell you something today. And I want you to understand it. I want, you, I want to read this one more time, and you all ought to turn your head like a puppy dog and go, huh? Against a hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him. So shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, only God, only God could say that. Because when you read this text, it looks like Abraham really struggled with this. Do we have to remind you? At 65, he was given a promise, and it wasn't happening. And so Abraham thought he would help God. And he had a baby with Hagar. Kind of like, hey, God, my wife, you know, her womb has become a tomb, and it's not going to happen. And so, God, I'm going to help you out. I'll have, I'll have uh, a baby through Hagar, and we'll make that the son of promise. And God's like, mm 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 That's not the way, Abraham. You know what I love about God? In the New Testament, he tells us if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. And that's a good thing because I'm working my way up to mustard seed level. That's a really small seed. But God says it's an incredible thing when you put your faith in it. Apparently, God is not judging Abraham about his faith. Look what he he said. I'm going to say it one more time. Without weakening in his faith. Well, God, what is it when Abraham's going, hmm, he made a promise and it's not working, so maybe I ought to try plan B, God? Plan B going to work? I mean, if, if I'm God, I'm like, no. I'm going over to Josiah. Abraham's done. Josiah, you become the father. No, I mean, God is patient. This verse reveals his mercy and grace. Guys, I got to tell you, God is big enough for your worries. God is big enough for your questions. He's big enough for your struggles and doubts. And that's not unbelief. You see, that's what God was saying. Abraham never stopped believing. He just couldn't figure it out in his own mind, and so he tried to help God. But he never stopped believing. And God said, it's all right. It's all right, Abraham. I'm going to show you I got this. I just want to make sure everybody understands it was me. If you thought Sarah was barren at 65, at 90, we're all sure. And Abraham, you, <laughs> you're not going to be able to accomplish this on your own. It's going to be a miracle. And I will provide. I love that God has patience. Patience with us. So, it's a mission impossible, verse 18 through 19. Abraham wasn't up to it. Sarah's womb is a tomb. Verse 20 through 21 he didn't waver? He didn't have unbelief? No. Was he fully persuaded? He had the faith of a mustard seed, but God said, good enough. Again, your salvation isn't about the quality of your faith or the quantity of your faith. Just give him. Just give him what you've got. 
Come to him as you are. Put your faith that you have, put it in, in him. We always want to add something to that, don't we? It's our nature as human beings. We, we struggle with just, you know, I'm going to give him my faith. I trust you, God. We always want to add a little bit of it. How many of you are overachievers this morning? We got overachievers in the house? Mm, come on, you know you are. You just don't want to admit it. Overachievers, man, you love salvation, but you like salvation plus. It's salvation and I work really hard to be good. You know, salvation plus, yeah, I really, you know, I'm faithful, God. And we add stuff to it. It's not Jesus plus you. It's Jesus, period. Everybody say it with me. Jesus, period. And so God looks at Abraham's faith, and honestly, humanly, I'm like, yeah, it was iffy. And God's like, no problem. He didn't go to unbelief. And God counted it as righteousness, his faith. He counted it as righteousness. I love that. Verse 22 and 24, credited. Put on your account. Mm. I imagine we all have bills. The bills come due. You know, we've got our third going off to college next week. You know, and there's, there's rent and then there's a tuition. There's bills, there's bills, there's bills. I have a mortgage and cars and bills come. AT&T, they're, they're my most unfavorite. They, I got to pay them every month. And it's my most expensive bill. And, you know, ah. Oh. You know what, I'd, I'd love if I got a notice in the mail in AT&C. Hey, hey, don't worry about next month. It was credited to your account. It's all good. Yes. Man, I could take that money and buy a new Harley shirt that I ruined and, and get a better tire for that car. Man, I could do some things. You know, but you know what's beautiful is? There's nothing else more important than your salvation. And God says, by faith... Jesus' righteousness is credited to your account. I couldn't pay for that. I'm not even going to ask you how many were playing the lotto when it was up to a billion dollars. Oh, I was, I was back at home. My mom and dad are in their 80s. I love them. They've been faithful to the Lord all these years. And you know, my dad asked me, son, if somebody in your church won that billion dollars, you wouldn't take 10%, would you? I said, no, Dad, if, if they won the lottery and won billion dollars, they better get 20%. They got enough money to give. And he's like, that's dirty money. I said, I don't care. <laughs> it's a blessing for the Lord. Let's build a dupe. Don't you like our parking lot, by the way? Yeah, it's like slapping lipstick on a pig, though. It's, it's not fixed, friends. I know you walked in and said, oh, good, we can move on. Oh, no. No, we patched the holes and we painted it black and got pretty lines on it. A year from now, it's going to be falling apart again. Eventually, we got to take the whole thing out, put a new substructure in, and fix the parking lot. Oh, win the lottery, please, Lord. <laughs> Give us somebody, somebody. I'll even let Joe have it if God will make sure he gives some back. <laughs> Credited to your account. Oh, even even though, even though we worry about financial things, there's no debt like the debt of sin. We we figure out how to get by financial, don't we? We figure it out. We'll squeeze a little bit. We'll cut here and there. We'll make some changes, and we'll get by financially. With sin, you got nothing. It's not like you can you can pay it in increments, right? You know the great American way, Lord. Just spread it out and I'll pay for it slow. No, no, you've got nothing. 
We can never pay it back. Thank God in Jesus it was credited to my account. There's honey in the rock. Amen? Jesus. Oh, I, did I finish yet? Verse 25. First mention of the resurrection. I already talked about that. Jesus died and rose again. There goes our salvation. Friends, let me give you this and get you out of here this morning. We can have confident faith. It's faith. It's not by sight. It's not seeing and believing. It's, it's believing. It's believing our God can provide the impossible. Amen? In verse 13. It's not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that there would be an heir through the world. No, no, but through righteousness that comes by faith. God can do the impossible. He provides the impossible. Our God trades rebellion for righteousness. Oh, the Bible uses the word transgression. You've ever ever heard the word trespass? Trespass or transgression. I see my, my Barakel friend here today. You guys just got married. What are you doing here? Good to see you, by the way. I love you. But uh, I was surprised they were here this morning. Um, I was at Barakel years ago with my daughters. Caitlin and Emily were little girls. And it was that daddy-daughter retreat. And I wasn't speaking. I was just you know, doing my thing and being with my daughters. And, and we decided to walk all around camp. Been there for years, right? I've been speaking at Barakel steadily every year for over 25 years now. But I was there with my daughters. It was different. So we decided to walk. Sheer Lake is a beautiful lake. Camp Barakel has a camp on east side and west side of Sheer Lake. It's a, it's a just perfect size lake for a camp. But just to the other side of it, what would that be? East of it, um, probably Shamrock Lake. It's a much bigger lake. Well, my daughters and I were walking through the woods, having a great time. I don't know when we did it, but we accidentally crossed a boundary, apparently. I didn't know when we did it. I'd been there for years. How did I do this? All I know is fall. We were having a great time. And then we show up to the shore, and it's not Sheer Lake. It's Shamrock Lake. We're trespassing. Camp Barakal has a great relationship with the people at Shamrock Lake. It's a privately owned lake. But they don't really like people trespassing. Trespassing is unknowingly wandering over a boundary line. You know what transgression is? It's knowingly stepping over a boundary line. Sometimes we mistakenly go where we shouldn't go. And sometimes we willfully go where we should not go. I find it interesting Paul uses the term here because trespass is used sometimes. But here he says transgression. Our sin, our willful sin against the holy God. God trades that rebellion for righteousness. How many of you are rebels like me? Rebel from the core, right? If you tell me I shouldn't do something, I'm going to think about doing it. That's just my nature. I'm bad, bad to the bone, right? Rebel to the core. Guess what? Good news for rebels. Jesus forgives us and gives us his righteousness. Number three, our God can rescue anyone, anywhere, anytime. That's good news for us. Lives changed. I hope you believe that. I hope you believe that everyone is reachable. I hope you pray for your neighbors, your family members, your co-workers. I hope you're praying, God, save them. If they don't know Jesus, save them. This week, uh, the first thing we did at Camp Barrett is we meet around in the basement and all the leaders talk. And one of the leaders said, there's a girl here this week. And her boyfriend encouraged her to come because she's not a Christian. And he's praying that she'll come to faith. 
Tuesday morning, I preached the gospel. Facts, faith, and forgiveness. It's a classic message I speak everywhere I go. Facts, faith, forgiveness. It's just a gospel message. After the message, uh, a girl reached over and tapped my wife on the shoulder and said, "Uh, thank your husband for preaching that. I am not a Christian. But it was clear and it was helpful. That was Tuesday morning. I left Friday late afternoon from camp. And uh, on Friday morning, a, a girl counselor came and said, PD, would you have time to meet with one of my students? I said, sure. 2.30, let's meet in the dining hall. So 2.30, I made my way to the dining hall, and there comes the counselor with that girl, the girl who had tapped my wife on the shoulder and said, I'm not a Christian. Turns out it's the girl who the leader had said, we need to pray that God would save her this week. And here I am at 2.30, sitting down with her and talking through the gospel one more time. And then I said, are you ready? Is it time? She said, let's pray. And we, we prayed together. I said, I'm going to pray for you, and then you're going to pray for salvation. Your counselor's going to pray for you. It was beautiful. That prayer was answered. Somebody was praying upon faith that this girl would know Jesus. And God delivered. That's so good. He can save. Our God can save. He can rescue anyone. Everybody say rescue. Our God needs nothing to succeed. I just love the story of Abraham and Sarah. I mean, I'm just telling you. That is a flat out, wow. Man, Abraham, Sarah, you're going to have babies. I mean, giggle, giggle, giggle. I mean, come on. Are you kidding me? Only God. Only God. He needs nothing. I love that. Five, our God has proven 100% trustworthy he is. One of the things I'm finding that people have a big hang-up because trauma happens in their life. Tragedies happen. Cancer takes people. Suicide takes people. And people that don't understand immediately go to blaming God. Of course, that's the natural thought. God, why did you let this happen? God, why did... And that's usually the hang-up. They won't put their faith in God because they're mad. They don't really trust a God who takes grandma. We don't trust a God who uh, didn't help my friend who was so depressed and discouraged that it took their own lives. God, why? I love it when I get to sit down and talk to them and explain to them our God. Our God is not the author of pain. Oh, he gets blamed all the time. Good thing he has big shoulders. Good thing he can take that. But he is not the author of pain. Pain comes, Genesis chapter 3. Sin entered this world, and death by sin. You know what our God is? Our God's the author of peace. And I know we want him to stop every bad thing from happening. I understand that. But he never told us that that's what he's going to do here. Our problem is we want heaven to be now. And heaven is not now. Oh, friends, we're not there yet. The Bible says heaven is that place, that future place for believers where there is no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. That's heaven. This is not. This is a sin-cursed earth. And you know what God's done? God, realizing that that's the truth, he sent Jesus to die on a cross, raise again, so that if you put your faith in him, you have hope of eternal life where there is no more where there is no more cancer, where there is no more suicide, where there is no more loss. Do you believe that? Our God doesn't offer pain. He offers peace. People that grasp that want to go to God and receive that. 
He is 100% trustworthy. Oh, do we go through the fire? Yes. Sometimes we wish, we wish, oh God, don't send me through the fire. Hananiah, Ezariah, Mishael. You know, wouldn't it have been great? I love what they said to King Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, the God we serve is able to save us from that fire. And he can save. But even if he does not, we are not going to bow to that idol. Nebuchadnezzar was furious Heated the furnace seven times hotter, which is stupid because at 900 degrees, it didn't need to get any hotter. It's going to kill him anyway, but he's furious. Seven times hotter, 1,800 degrees those things could go to. It's huge. And, and then they go and they tie him up with ropes and they go to the entrance of the fiery furnace. They open the doors and kills all the soldiers who are carrying Hananiah, Azariah, Misha. Kills them dead, just the heat from the, the blow there. Have you ever opened the oven? I'm so stupid in the oven. I make bacon. I love making bacon in the oven It's because it stays flat and it gets crispy. And every time I do the same thing, is it ready? <sighs> Men, let me just explain something. When the oven's 400 degrees and you open it quickly and put your head in there, poof, you send your eyebrows off. I, I try to learn to go, then peak. You know, open, then peak. What happened that day was the fiery furnace got opened and the guys were like, Pfft. they were dead. Instantly, Hananiah, Ezra, and Mishael went into the fiery furnace. And moments later, Nebuchadnezzar went over and said, Hey, I thought we put three in there. I see four in there. One of them looks like the Son of God. See, God doesn't always save us from the fire. He saves us in the fire. And we as a church, man, we got to wake up. We spend all our time trying to tear down the monuments and the idols of this world as if that's our job. But then we spend the rest of our time making sure we don't go in the fire. We aren't going to be refined as gold unless we go through the fire. Don't judge God based on if you go through a fire or not. He, he sometimes lets us go through the fire, but he goes with us. Everybody say with. With. Oh, he's trustworthy. Sixth thing. Our God makes weak people strong. Amen. Our God makes weak people strong. Can you imagine the faith of Abraham at 90 years old when Sarah says, Hey, Abe, I got some news for you. (laughs) I'm pregnant. What? (laughs) I'm pregnant. God takes weak people. He'll build them up. He'll make them strong. When When you walk by faith, not by sight, you gain faith. And our God makes dead people alive. I love that. I just, oh, Graves in the Garden, one of my favorite songs. He turns graves into gardens. Oh, he turns bones into armies. Our God, our God is a God you can have confidence in. What's the conclusion to this this week? Well, we walk by faith, not by sight. Have you seen the faith optometrist lately? Check your spiritual eyes out. I, I, I I spoke all week at camp, and you know what? Uh, None of those kids think I'm a rock star. They know I'm an old, fluffy, balding guy, but they put up with me. And you know the one thing they want? You know what the one thing they want from me? You're like, they want your autograph. No, they don't. Nobody asks me for my... They want to play with my glasses. (laughs) All these kids come to me, Pastor Don, can I see your glasses? No, leave my glasses alone. I wear them because I'm old and I'll lose them if they're not there. And so they snap together with a magnet and everybody wants to play with my glasses. It's tough getting old and needing tools. (laughs) You know, it's tough. But you know what? Spiritually, my eyes are strong. 
spiritually I can see the unseen because God has given me new eyes. Has he given you new eyes of faith where you put your faith in him, you put your confidence in him? I'm looking forward to heaven where I don't have to have my magnet glasses. I'm looking forward to heaven where I don't have to, you know, think about when I, what I got to put on to look here or what I got to see to see. No, no, no. I, I, that's all going to be gone physically. But spiritually now, spiritually now, do you have spiritual eyes? I want to give you some verses to close. Go to the Isaiah 41.10. We'll do those three verses. I just want to give this to you as we close. Band, would you join me on stage? As the band comes, Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. John 16.33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Everybody say peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Uh, Do you know him? Do you know him as your savior today? Have you put your faith in God? I'm not asking you if your, your belief is powerful because you know what? That doesn't matter. I'm not asking you if your faith is perfect. Your faith is never going to be perfect. But are you putting your faith in the, the source who is perfect? 